All right, this is a, uh, you know, a, a message that is, I think, pretty simple. Uh, I was going to get in a little bit deeper into some of the subject matter, but I thought, you know what, I want to keep it just real simple and practical because uh, I think we all need to leave here just recognizing how important it is to be thankful. And uh, the subject matter, uh, the specific story I'm talking about, I've written a whole lot on. And I've actually, uh, one of these books, uh, looks like we might be getting one published pretty soon here. Uh, but this was something I've worked on off and on for some time. And my temptation was go, to go into leprosy because of the subject matter and a great deal. But I'm not going to go into it as greatly as I, I might because I want to spend a little bit more time talking to you about how important it is to be thankful in light of the story that we're about to read. Although we'll cover enough information to really, hopefully you'll see some parallels and it'll, it'll cause you to think a little bit about our own condition. So please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 17. Luke was called by a very a famous historian named Ramsey who came to the biblical lands to check out, for instance, what the scripture said in the first century in the book of Acts. And after he checked out Luke's history and then he uncovered stuff that was not really understood even, he came away calling... Luke, a historian par excellence because of the history that Luke uncovers. Luke wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, he wrote to Theophilus. And some believe Theophilus is a literal person he's writing to. That's a lot of work. Book of Luke and the book of Acts obviously meant for us as well. And others believe that his name is symbolic of true believers who love the Lord because it's from Phileo, Theophilus, Phileo, brotherly love, and Theo, lover of God. And so he's addressing a man who is either, either has a name, lover of God, or all lovers of God. But ultimately, it's addressed to all of us, lovers of God, amen, whether it was to a specific man or not. And he gives the account, uh, he, you say, see certain things in his gospel account that you don't see in the other gospel accounts. And same is true with John, of course, Mark, and uh, Matthew. But I love that he records Jesus' healing of the 10 lepers, and I want to draw your attention to verse 11. And Jesus is in between Galilee and Jerusalem here. And while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Now, that would freak you out if you're not Jesus, okay? Because... Uh, Jesus actually touched a diseased leper before. Uh, Jesus uh, is God in the flesh. But leprosy was very contagious. And I don't want to get into all the studies I've done on it, but I've studied it significantly enough to realize that the Bible encyclopedias for years said there was no such thing as le of leprosy in the way that we understood it, understand it today. When you go to leper colonies in the Far East and so forth and you see people missing their noses and their eyes and digits and so forth. Uh, the Bible encyclopedias will say this word leprosy that is being used is a translation from a word that refers to a skin disease for sure, typically, but doesn't really refer to the leprosy that we know now that is so absolutely devastating. And when I saw that, I was like, when I first was checking out leprosy, 
and leprosy in the first century uh, when Jesus was healing it. Uh, that was kind of bummed me out. Now, on one hand, it should have got me excited. Well, praise God, people didn't have to deal with it, you know, back then. But it kind of bummed me out because I, you know, if anybody ever watched Ben-Hur, you think there's these really dramatic healings of people just walking around without digits or the faces deformed, being totally healed, right? So all of a sudden, the miracles seemed less dramatic to me, not that they weren't so dramatic to the people that are suffering from skin diseases that need to be isolated from other people so they don't get scabies or whatever the disease was that could be contagious. So I was kind of bummed out because I had been doing a lot of work on leprosy, assuming that this was the same kind of leprosy. And I was like, oh Lord, I shouldn't be bummed out. That means a lot of people didn't really have the leprosy that was so horrific. But I'm bummed out because Jesus' miracles seem, would seem less dramatic because I loved the idea of that a leper just totally transformed, you know? And I just was kind of betwixt. And, but then guess what? Not long after that, they found the oldest leper that ever lived. And they found him in Jerusalem. And they found him under a sealed tomb that had never been opened because it was sealed in such a way that they understood. When they sealed the tomb in this way, it's because uh, they were concerned of diseases. And they broke open that tomb just, I don't know, this is probably like 15 years ago or so. Uh, and of course, there was these bones and these, you know, and they gathered it together and they sent it to Canada for forensic studies of what this person may have died of. And guess what? It was the leprosy that we know as leprosy. And the oldest leper they've ever found now happened to be in the first century in Jesus' day. I was like, praise the Lord. That guy got healed of leprosy. I'm not saying Jesus healed that particular guy because that guy wasn't healed. But I'm saying, praise God, leprosy was what Jesus heals, not this guy, but these 10 different people we read about here. And it was a horf horrific disease uh, because... It's a disease that, and I'm going to be skipping a lot of references because I just want to cut to the chase a lot in this message, but it was a disease whereby your nose could disappear, your ears, your eyes, you could go blind. It took about 30 years to run its course before you died. Um, you, you stunk it, because your, your flesh is decaying and because of the disease, there's a huge stench in the, in the air. In fact, at leper colonies, if you went to a leper colony, I've read where people have gone to leper colonies and they want to go witness or share the gospel, but the stench is so strong that they don't even go in because it's just so, they, they don't want to become, you know, throwing up and violently ill and so forth. Uh, others have clenched their noses and witnessed to people in spite of that, of course. Uh, Im imagine the physical pain now, according to a, a Christian doctor uh, whose book I read on when he dealt was in the leper colonies, that he witnessed be, uh, people, as to, he, the reason he feels that people lose their digits, although this isn't the only reason, because it was kind of mysterious that they just fall off and what have you, is he observed rats eating fingers at night because you lose all your feeling when you get leprosy. You lose feeling and the rats just gnawed away at them at night and the person wouldn't roll over and go, whoa, get that rat away. And when there's infestations of rats, the lepers were easy food. So you're dealing with uh, loose, loss of feeling, uh, deform, def, you know, deformation of the body, alienation. Can you imagine being a leper and being alienated from your family? My heart broke for people when the whole COVID thing was going down. 
There's a lot of people that died and these people were separated from their families. I was in the hospital for about almost four or five days and I couldn't have any visitors, couldn't see my brothers and sisters in Christ, couldn't see my wife, my kids, my grandchildren, you know? And I didn't know, I mean, I was praying, I felt the Lord had spoken to me that I was gonna come out of it, but I wasn't absolutely sure. And when that was going on, my heart ached for so many people that spent months in the hospital then died and they weren't even allowed to have funerals for them. Could you imagine having leprosy and being in this condition where you lose feeling, you're losing your digits, you're losing your eyesight, and you've been separated from the community that you, and your family, your, your children or maybe your grandchildren. That would be pretty tough, wouldn't it? I'm trying to get you to understand that it wasn't just physical pain, but you were ostracized from society. And in Jesus' day, you had to yell by the, the law states that you had to yell that you had leprosy, cry out that you were a leper and let people know. And you had ratty, raggy clothes on because the Bible said to wear such clothes because it's a flag to let people know that you have leprosy. That way people wouldn't run into you because one in four people, not everybody contracts leprosy when they, con when they run into somebody. It's about one in four people who touch somebody with leprosy that will get leprosy as well. A horrific, horrifying disease to have. So it's like playing Russian roulette. And I've imagined this particular scenario and actually wrote a, a story about it that's kind of like more of a kind of a novel kind of thing and, uh, with regard to this, the, these 10 lepers, you know. Just trying to, you know, I'm not going to go into that, but just to, you know, and, and what, and what could have, it could have been like. And I develop characters, you know, with regard to uh, family members. They have to leave with a few of the main characters. And it's kind of this, it's this crash kind of thing where they all end up in the same leper colony. And then uh, later on, they run into Jesus. And, but whatever the scenarios were, these are people that have family members and so forth. And they were on their way looking for Jesus because Jesus had already healed lepers, right? And what's very interesting, there's Old Testament scenarios where there's leprosy, but we don't read in the Old Testament where the priests, we have Naaman in the Old Testament, we don't read where the priests themselves actually go through this, God bless you. Uh, we don't have a, a, a situation where priests actually go through in the history in Israel where they've gone through the... Uh, policy of what it means to heal an actual full-blown leper. But there was, in the book of Leviticus, the, 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 the ritual they were supposed to conduct if somebody was healed of leprosy. And it's quite fascinating. We don't even have time to go into all that, but I'll mention that because there's a lot of things I want to mention. But I want to get you out here in the right time so you can enjoy Thanksgiving and say, man, Joe ruined my Thanksgiving. He went 45 minutes late. You know, I slept in, you know. Uh, but I want you to understand there was a lot of emotional pain along with the physical pain. And it's unimaginable when you try to put yourself in that situation. Just think of yourself. If all of a sudden you found out you had a disease and you lived in a village somewhere, you were so close and tight with people and you could never see them again. You could never see your family again, your brothers and sisters in Christ again. And you were, your life was just ebbing away for years. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, you, ever, you ever close your eyes and imagine what it would be like to be, to be blind? You know, we know some people that have lost their sight or don't have eyesight. And in Jesus, they get along pretty good in Jesus. But 
it's by the grace of God that God's given them strength and, it, and their testimonies are beautiful. The folks that I know that are blind as believers. But a few months ago, it's probably eight, 10 months ago now, is I was dreaming one time and I didn't know I was dreaming because usually you don't know when you're dreaming, but sometimes you do. And in my dream, I slowly went blind and it was horrifying. It was like I couldn't see anything. And I'm like, <gasps> I was trying to hyperventilate a little bit. <sighs> and I woke up, I was like, <gasps> praise God. And I was like, so scary. And it gave me a lot of sympathy and maybe that's why the Lord did it. I don't know what happened, what that was about. But I thought, Lord, my heart just broke for people that are blind. And we don't know a lot of times what people go through. But just to go through one of these maladies that a leper faces, boy, that would be so hard. Could you imagine that? Any of these things. You know, ostracized from society, losing all your feeling, losing digits, losing limbs, you know, losing your eyesight. And you become, you have this horrible stench. And by the way, the Bible says that if you have leprosy, you're supposed to stay a distance away from people. What, what do they do with communicable diseases today? What's a big thing? Stay away from people, right? And also, you'd have to yell out, leper! And you'd have to wear clothes, as I said, that were ratty. But you also, it says, for a man that had leprosy, he's supposed to put his hand on his mustache when he yells, leper. Why do you think you're supposed to put his hand on his mustache? Yep. <laughs> so when he yells leper, he's not spitting or putting all these air, this airborne disease in the air or getting his saliva on people. So you put your hand on your mustache or your li upper lip and then you yell leper. If somebody is close or downwind, you're not infecting them. And by the way, this is a long time before uh, in the 19th century, they didn't understand communicable diseases. And there was a man by the name of Semmelweis. He was an Austrian physician and Semmelweis recognized that there might be diseases that are being communicated. And again, I'm going through a lot of things I'd normally spend a lot of time on, but I'll just say this, is in that Austrian hospital, there was a specific fever going around whereby babies were dying left and right. Uh, the mortality rate was super high at this particular hospital. And Semmelweis was realizing, what is going on here? And, and then a friend of his, went to go, because on one ward, they would deliver babies. Another ward, they were dealing with a specific fever that was killing all kinds of people. And the, there was a lot of, the mortality rate was high among babies. And what was happening is the same physicians that were dealing with people that were dealing with a specific fever would go then deliver babies and communicate that fever to the babies, and they would die. But nobody was putting it together until one time, a doctor friend of his had a cut on his arm, and he went to deal with a, uh, deliver a baby after dealing with infected people with a fever, and then he died of that fever. So he thought, now keep in mind, they didn't know this, that these diseases were communicated for about, until the 1800s. That's quite amazing when you think about it. And he thought, wait a minute, what if whatever that person died of got into his bloodstream? So guess what he did? He encouraged uh, doctors to wash their hands much to the chagrin of many doctors because where's the science, right? And they'd wash them in lime and, they'd get, and then they'd deliver babies and the mortality rate went down. It was super high. It went down. And everybody's tripping out. And they continued to do that and looked like everything was so much better. But then the doctors got lazy and they didn't want to wash their hands because there was no evidence of this. It wasn't like in the medical journals of the day. And they rebelled against him, and he got kicked out of the hospital. He moved to another hospital. 
They were dealing with the same fever. He implemented the same protocol. The mortality rate uh, went down. It was so high. Went down again. He proved it. He got ostracized eventually from that hospital. The medical community came down on him. He went, ended up in prison, by the way. And he died of that very disease. I, I think they, somebody needs to make a movie about that, you know. That would be a great movie. I thought if somebody made a movie about that guy and it was a good, clean movie, uh, maybe there is. I just haven't seen it. But I thought that's, that's a movie waiting to happen, educational movie. And it's just interesting that in biblical times, we call this biomedical prescience. By the way, this is a great thing to witness with. I, you know, y'all live to witness in different ways, right? So I just got back from Texas. So I'm saying y'all. <laughs> uh, uh, but we love to witness, right? And, and uh, share the gospel and use evidences. I think one of the best evidences, line of evidences when you're witnessing somebody, and I use it sometimes, is biomedical prescience. Science before they understood it, biomedically speaking, where God is saying to go outside the camp and bury your waste. Where Lord is saying not to touch dead things. And if you do, you need to wash really well. All right? And if you have a pot that has been infected and some dead person has been using a certain pot to go destroy that pot, bury it. If it's porous, destroy it. If it's not porous, wash it and put it out in the sunlight. Why, why if it's porous? Because if it's porous, it's going to attract or going to have a lot of diseases, potentially, or germs that can be, get in those pores. So if it has a lot of pores, destroy that. If the pottery doesn't have a lot of pores, you could just wash it and leave it out in the sun. The very animals that God told them to avoid, pigs, right, rodents, don't eat those things. Those are the, those are the animals that tend to carry a lot of different diseases. Isn't that interesting? Now keep in mind, all these countries around them, all these people, I should say, in the Ain world, uh, the ancient Near Eastern world, were eating pigs and everything else. Muslims weren't around a lot, around yet, okay? And they were eating everything, and the Jews were forbidden to eat things that you think you'd want to eat. Didn't make it easier for them in regard to their diet. So they weren't eating pigs. They weren't eating rodents. They weren't eating a lot of things that carry diseases. Oh, they were allowed to eat certain birds, but guess what kind of birds they weren't allowed to eat? Birds of prey. If you look at the list, it, it, it got rid of birds of prey because the birds of prey catch these rodents and stuff, right? And they get infected. Think about this. It's... The, the priests were the, were the health officers. They'd go to your house, and if there was a fungus growing, right, on your, in your house, you know, mold was growing. The priest was called to cut out a square around it and destroy that and come back and look at the house a week or so later. And if it was okay, great. But if the mold continued to grow, the house was condemned. Guess who had these practices? Only the Jews. Now Moses, this was written in the Mosaic Law. Moses was in Pharaoh's court, right? He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Think about this for a second. Wow. Is that where he learned it? No. I can show you in the, in the medical codes of, of the Pharaohs back in those days, where if you have a sore, you know, you would use everything from you could use flies, smashed up flies, or you could use donkey teeth or whatever, just all kinds of weird things going on. You don't have that in the Bible. Moses didn't get that from Egypt. He got it from God. And 
There are so many laws like that that are so very impressive that shows you only the mind of God could have been at work. In fact, the Jews, more than any other people, were known for their sanitation. In fact, during the Black Plague, during the bubonic plague, and so much of Europe, a huge percentage of Europe was killed, a lot of Jews were living through it. Rats were carrying the bubonic plague and so forth. But Jews were practicing this biblical sanitation, and they were more free than other people from these diseases. In fact, the Lord told the Jews after they got out of Egypt that if he, they obeyed them, he'd keep them from the diseases of the nations. Wow. Now we're talking about, you know, almost 3,500 years before with Moses, about 3,500 years, almost about 33 or so hundred years before Semmelweis made this discovery and he wasn't accepted. Louis Pasteur was happening around the same time. I'll get you know about him, right? And he started, they started recognizing with his work and another British scientist, uh, then all of a sudden they realized that. And then the, 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 micro, uh, the microscope was developed that was able, that was powerful enough to, to see germs and so forth. Then they started to recognize how diseases were transmitted over 3,000 years after God gave all these different laws. Very, very impressive, amen? amen. So it's quite interesting when God tells them to not touch things that are dead. And it's quite interesting, he tells the lepers to be colonized. And he tells them to cover their mouths when they yell out leper. You can say, wow, the Bible was way ahead of its time. Well, God was way ahead of it, amen? Because God knew exactly what was going on. I mean, there's so many reasons that our faith should just soar, amen? amen. I mean, do you guys like this kind of stuff? I love this kind of stuff, you know, because to me it just affirms, strengthens my faith when I look and I read the word. It's like, wow, you know, it's like when Jesus, you know, there's so many situations. Remember Jesus healed the guy that was blind, right? But he couldn't see things straight. He said it looks like there were trees upside down that were, you know, or trees that were walking, not upside down, but trees that were walking. Trees that were walking. Yeah. Everything was distorted. And then G Jesus uh, heals him again. And then he sees everything clearly. And we don't know till years later. Nobody could have known in Jesus' day, except Jesus, <laughs> that children who are born blind, you could put a solution in their eyes, and they can now see. But guess what? They have to go through therapy because things are distorted. Things appear, some have reported they look upside down. You know, maybe that's why trees look like they're walking, the limbs look down like they're on the ground or what have you, I don't know. But things, you know, I read about one man and he would see a cat and the, the tail, the head would be back where the tail was and, and he'd have to go through therapy to understand how to put these pictures together because the brain was not developed right along with the eyesight because the eyes work in conjunction with the brain when you first, be, a child begins to see and so it appears that Jesus, this man being uh, blind for, you know, long time, heals his eyes, but his brain is not seeing things correctly. And then Jesus prays for him again. And by the way, it's interesting. He takes him away from the crowd before he heals him the second time because he recognizes this dysphoria, confusion. Takes him aside, away from the crowd, and, and prays for him again. Then his, head is, then his brain is healed. Then he can see everything the way he ought to see it. 
That made no sense when people would read that. Some of you are thinking, what happened when Jesus prayed? He just didn't pray hard enough for his, her, his power bar was kind of down or something? No, that's not what was going on. I think what Jesus is doing is he's showing us. I think God puts those things there to show us later <laughs> how awesome he is. Amen? Amen? And that he knows everything. Well, these lepers, they, had a, they were real, in real bad shape. And they dealt with a lot, a lot of pain. Now, let's return now to verse 13. 12 says, And he entered a village. Ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Wow. You know, I love the way they plead with the Lord. They recognize he is Master. Amen. He is Lord. Amen. Amen. And that's very, very important to understand is that Jesus is our Lord. The Bible says if we, you know, believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, but also if we what, confess with our mouths that he is what? Lord, we will be saved. Amen. Today, people want to accept Jesus as their Savior, but they want to reject him as their Lord. Isn't that true? Amen. Somebody just played something for me when I was in Texas by a, a popular teacher who said, you can accept Jesus as your Savior, but you don't have to accept him as your Lord, and you'll just lose some rewards, you know? Something like that, and I was listening, and, and the person was troubled because it's a teacher right in their vicinity that's very well known, and he's saying, hey, you know what, uh, you know, you can lose the fear of God. That's what he said. Where Jesus isn't your Lord, but just have him as your Savior. He wasn't encouraging people to do that, but he's saying that's one way to be a Christian. Well, the Bible says if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that God raised the dead, we shall be saved. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not obey what I say? Amen? Amen. And I love that these 10 lepers roaming together they called him Lord or Master, have mercy on us. They needed mercy. And by the way, don't demand things from God, amen? Because if we ask God for justice, what would each and every one of us get? We would all get instantaneous hell, amen? God, I want pure justice. Really? God, don't give me pure justice because I'm a, I'm a poor sinner saved by your grace. I want your mercy, Amen? Again, what's the difference between mercy and grace and justice? Justice is getting exactly what you deserve, right? right. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Amen? Amen? Judgment. Grace is getting blessed by Christ with blessings and salvation that you don't deserve. Amen? Amen. And they call for, they cry out for mercy. Verse 14. When he, that is Jesus, saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And they were going... And I love this. As they were going, they were cleansed. Wow. As they're going, as they're on their way, walking away to go to the priest. Now, keep in mind, they weren't cleansed. They're like, whoa, man, we've been cleansed. Let's go to the priest. They're not cleansed yet. They're looking down and they're seeing all their raggedy clothes. That stench is still there. They're seeing digits missing and they're looking at each other and seeing, you know, guys missing eyes and, and ears, perhaps, whatever. I mean, they're seeing some pretty, and they're looking at each other saying, we're not healed. But guess what? They just called him master and they obeyed him and they started headed toward the priest in Jerusalem, the Levitical priest. And guess what? They were instantaneously healed. Can you imagine walking, looking at each other? 
and just like, okay. And all of a sudden you start seeing the people next to you, their skin being restored, their digits growing back. Could God do that? It's easy. If he can create the universe, which he did, that's easy for him. Amen? It's still powerful. It's still beautiful. But for God, nothing is impossible with him. Amen? He's sovereign over all things. There's nothing too difficult for him, the scriptures say. The only thing he can't do is that which is evil, right? Or that which is contrary to reality. Although he can do a lot of things that are contrary to reality as we understand it, right? But the Bible says God cannot lie. God cannot deny himself. God can neither be tempted nor will he tempt anyone, amen? Because God doesn't do evil, amen? Amen. He's a perfectly good God. And he heals them as they're walking. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Wow. (laughs) I love this, you know. By the way, when you would go to the priest without getting too deep because we'll run out of time because I want to cover more ground. So I'm hitting these things a little bit here, a little bit there. We're not going to do a little series on this. Uh, you would go to the priest and you know what they would do? Part of the ritual for one that was healed with leprosy is they would take, do you remember this? Some of you have heard me teach on this before. In Leviticus, they would take a bird, okay, a, a, a pigeon or a dove, and they take a, a dove and they'd, or a pigeon, and they put it in a clay pot, right? Think about that. Catching this bird, you put it in a clay pot. And then they'd kill that bird, and its blood would be dripping, and they'd take the blood from that bird and sprinkle that blood on a living bird, Right? Then they would let that living bird, they do this over running water, then they let that living bird go and fly away. And some people get bored to death with the book of Leviticus. I think the book of Leviticus is so cool. Um, I admit, yeah, there's sometimes it's like, you know, you're like, you know, some, I gotta be honest, yeah, sometimes I'm like, you, you can start to gloss over a little bit, but the, if you slow down and say, what are you saying here, God? It, it's an amazing book, okay? Uh, and what, that is the picture of Jesus. Because a bird, Jesus is the word who became flesh, amen? amen? When he said that the Father would send the Holy Spirit, right? Another comforter, right? And that Greek word another, some you know, Greek scholars point out, means exactly like myself. We've looked at that Greek word before. And, and I've looked at it since, and that Greek word can mean exactly like the one when it says another, it doesn't always have to. But in this case, when he said he'll send another comfort, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus prior to Jesus saying that, at his baptism, it came down in the form of what? A dove. Jesus is the word who's become flesh. He's heavenly. The Holy Spirit's heavenly. The Father's heavenly. The, the pigeon or the dove that they would take is a heavenly bird, a picture of Jesus. And they put it in what? Clay. What does Paul say that we are? We're clay pots. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says that God, when God said, may the light shine out of darkness, picture of salvation. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, what describes us? 
describes, I'm sorry, it describes God's creating uh, the universe and then it, there was the earth before it was formed and it was, remember what it was? Remember the Hebrew words? It was what? Tohu wa bohu, right? It was formless and empty or void and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. That was us. We were formless. We had no direction in our lives. We were on the broad road to destruction. We were empty. Paul talks about the emptiness in our lives. And there was darkness over the face deep. Darkness. We were shrouded in darkness. Amen. And Jesus says, how great is that darkness when he speaks of human darkness? But then God said, let there be light. Amen. And that's too heavy, too beautiful to go into. But each day is a picture of the salvation experience. And the gospel of John is like that. The, home, the live stream group that I visited in Texas. And hello, brothers and sisters. Any of you guys that are watching? Love you guys. I went through 25 parallels between Genesis and the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Starts off in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And I show that this, there's so many crazy parallels that John's picking up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and everything was made by Him. Nothing came to being but by Him, amen? amen? And the Word was the light of man. Let there be light, amen? amen? Then there's life that comes forth on the third day, which is a picture, by the way, of Jesus' resurrection on the third day. And Jesus was the life of men, it says there. And then we just went throughout the Gospel of John, and it gets really beautiful, really crazy. I'll probably do that study for you guys sometimes with regard to John. Uh, but it, it's crazy because when you go through the Scriptures, and you see the parable parallels is this when the Lord said, let there be light, that life came into our, and Jesus entered into our hearts when our eyes were opened, amen, that we were able to experience uh, new life. And what a, what a beautiful reality that is. Well, these lepers were able to experience the, the physical life. God regenerated their physical bodies to a degree. But what's really stunning about this is this one leper Verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Man, this guy just gets loud, praising God for his healing. I want to encourage you this Thanksgiving today, not just tomorrow, but praise God. Use your voice to praise God. Don't just say, thank you, Lord. That's, that's good. But that's just the beginning, man. We should be a people of praise, amen? A people of worship. A people, I hope you get, I hope there's times in your life and I hope there are many when you can't contain yourself and you're driving and no one's even around and you're like, praise you, Jesus, I love you, amen? And you just praise him. And I encourage you, don't just sing songs of praise that you hear on the radio or, or at church where you're just singing. Sing a new song. Just praise him in your own way, amen? Worship him, exalt him. I love to take songs with, with known melodies and just change the words and make it a little new so, I can, so my mind's engaged, amen? So I can express my heart to God, amen? amen. And I just, I just hope, I just, we need to recognize that. Look what this, this, this guy is doing. He's praising and glorifying God with a loud voice. I'm telling you right now, we have clap offerings, you know, when I spoke at the Texas, we've got a, 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 a two or three uh, live stream groups in Texas. We praise the Lord for all of you guys. But the one we were at, the Jacksons, it was pretty cool because at the end, it's neat because they stand up at the end just like we do in service. They take communion like we do. And they knew, man, I said, let's give glory, glory to God. Let's clap our hands and give a praise offering to God. We try to do that quite often. You know, almost every Sunday, hopefully every Sunday we do it. Not that you have to. It's not like thou shalt do this. But we love to do it. And it was just neat seeing them get up and seeing them all praising God. 
But you know what? A clap offering is great because the Bible says over and over again to clap your hands to the Lord, amen? But you know what it says more than clap your hands? Lift your shout of the voice of praise, amen? To give him praise, to, to worship him with your voice, to exalt him. There shouldn't just be one or two or three people here lifting up their voices. It says with a loud voice. Well, we want to be proper, Joe. And you want to just do hymns and stuff and be real kind of quiet. And there's a way to show reverence and, and solitude with quietness too. Yeah, there is. There's a time to be quiet before the Lord. Amen. But there's also a time if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. Amen. And I can show you in heaven where the praise and the worship is so loud. I'm not calling and giving a message and saying, yeah, we need to have maybe turn up worship team. We need to turn it up. No, the, the ears can handle so much before they start getting destroyed. But you know what? You praising God without you being mic'd up and just shouting praises to his name is not going to destroy someone's ears. I don't think. Unless you're super loud. Then we'll say, okay, look up when you praise God. <laughs> you're hurting that kid's ears or whatever. But there shouldn't just be two or three people saying, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We should all be praising him. Amen? Amen. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? For it's the power of God of salvation for everyone that believes the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen? Amen? It really bums me out when I see that Muslims bow down by the millions to a false satanic God, Allah. And, we, and I say satanic God because the Bible says that God, that, that it's the spirit of Antichrist that says that, that, that denies the Father and the Son. 1 John chapter 2, long before Islam came about, warned against Islamic type beliefs. If you deny the Father and the Son, that's Antichrist. And Islam den denies Christ. They don't even believe that they can be saved by grace through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, even though they claim they affirm and believe in Jesus, right? That's not the right Jesus, a different Jesus. He's not the Son of God. Yet they don't have any redemption through the, the blood of God's Son. Yet they're fanatical, oftentimes, in their worship. How much more radical should we be in our worship, Amen. Because God actually became a man and was slaughtered on the cross in our place. Amen? Amen. How much more should we be praising God? Amen? Amen. And if, if the Muslims could bow down three times a day, right? How come we can't even lift up our voice and say, praise you, Jesus? There's something wrong with that. Amen? That's convicting to my heart. It, it actually breaks my heart when I think about that. And I hope it breaks your heart that, Lord, help us to give praise. This leper, who was in worse shape? This leper... Physically or us spiritually before we came to Christ? I don't think this leper knows his spiritual condition. Maybe he does to a degree. But we have a lot of detail, more detail than that leper had as far as how salvation goes. And we know that we are destined for hell. And we know we have a lot of descriptions from Jesus that he probably didn't hear yet where there's weeping and ashing of teeth. The lake of fire doesn't come to Revelation, which is probably written in the 90s. So he couldn't have read that. And we know what we've been redeemed from. So we should be people of praise. Brothers and sisters, I almost want to hold you here before I get to the next point to where every single person here says, you know what, I'm going to lift my voice and praise more. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. God doesn't want you to say, man, I feel bad if I don't do it now because of what Joe said. No, then you're missing the message. We need to do it out of gratefulness. Amen? It's a command over and over again in Scripture to shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph to lift your voices on high, to praise him, amen? amen. Ah, this is, none of this is in my notes in the last 25 minutes, I think, that I've spoken. <laughs> I'm on page one, okay? That's, I get in big trouble. So, but I prayed, Lord, help me. 
So I'm telling you what, can you all say, are you ashamed to say praise the Lord? If, if you can't say praise the Lord in the church with a, a, a bunch of blood-bought, born-again believers that are filled with the Spirit that love Jesus, and, and if you can't say praise the Lord and you're embarrassed to say praise the Lord in front of believers, man, God help us to understand not to have the fear of man and have more appreciation of what Jesus did. Amen? Amen? Can we all say on the count of three, praise the Lord together? One, two, three. Praise the Lord! Now, I wasn't even going to ask you to shout. I thought when I was going to have you say that, then the next time I was going to have you shout it out. But you already did it. But we get even louder. And we're talking about praise the Yahweh. Jesus, God became flesh and has ascended the Father. Amen? Let's, now let's shout praise the Lord. One, two, three. Praise, praise the Lord! Very good. Amen? Now, you know, in heaven it says the praise is going to be like, it sounds like thunder. It sounds like many waters. Okay, now check this out. At the end when we give a clap offering, maybe I should say a shout offering. That might help us, okay? But hopefully I could just say a clap offering and you can get it. Maybe I'll say, maybe I need to show you, maybe I need to do, I probably need to do a lot better at this. Lord, help me do better at this, okay? Is, is maybe I'll need to say, but when we say praise offering or clap offering, still tell the Lord, say praise the Lord. Say hallelujah, amen. You know the word that's most translated in any other language than any other word, the most popular word on the planet is hallelujah. Hebrew word that means praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yahweh. And this guy's praising God. And I love it because verse 15, now one of them, when he saw just one that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving what? Thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Brothers and sisters, he was a what? Jojo, shout on the way, on the way home if you've got to leave now. Praise Amen. Say, so he got it. He's applying it to his life. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, that is at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. I love the Greek word for worship. You know, the Greek word for worship is proskuneo. I love that word. And pros is like, you know, the, to, to be before and from kineo. It means to, to bow down and kiss. Think of the word for worship, proskuneo. Beautiful word. To bow down and kiss. And when we're worshiping, we're bowing our hearts before the Father. Amen? And we're kissing Jesus. God made us to be this way. Our flesh doesn't want to do that. We're just too cool. Man, you see who Jesus is, the creator of the, the, absolute, creator of the entire universe? Who do we think we are? And he bows down, right? And he gives thanks to Jesus. Have you ever just got on your knees before the Lord? If you haven't done that in a while, I think it's very, very important that you do that now, I'm not being legalistic and say you have to do it this, this way, this many times, and so forth. But since we see this pattern in Scripture, right, is I'm encouraging you to bow before the Lord, to get on your knees sometimes, because Jesus got on his knees, right? In Gethsemane, he was on his knees. We're supposed to follow his example. And I'm not saying that's the way you have to always pray, because you're supposed to pray without ceasing. You're driving, you're praying. 
Several scriptures talk about being devoted to prayer, to pray without ceasing. So you can pray in all kinds of positions. But I'm encouraging you, sometimes get on your bedside or just or in your office, you know, uh, get on your knees and, 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 and put your hands on your, uh, uh, perhaps your seat or just get on your knees and put your hands up and just pray to the Lord and, and talk to him. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I'm encouraging you guys to express yourselves more. In the Western world, it's really sad because in the Western world, they, we look at, you know, sometimes people read scripture and it seems so foreign because they were so, their bodies were a big part of their worship. And what happens is, well, that's because it was the Eastern culture. That's because it was, you know, it's like, wait a minute. No, a lot of times, biblically, it's because they really love God. Amen. That's what's going on there. They really love God, so they stretch their hands to him. And he's very real to them. Amen. And they really do fear him. And they really do love him. They humble themselves and put themselves on their knees. And that's missing in the church today. I did a message the Sunday before this last on teaching your children the fear of God, amen, with a whole lot of application, with a whole lot of encouragement. I had several couples since that time, a, a few different couples that night that came up, or that day that came up to me afterwards, and were like, or, or even later and said, man, we're teaching our children to fear God. We have to get back to biblical Christianity, amen, and not look, put our finger in there and say, what's pop going on in the popular church and the pop Christianity right now? No, we say, what does God's word say? Amen? Amen? And we need to worship the Lord and teach our children to worship the Lord. So he bows down. He's glorifying the Lord. He falls on his face. Verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, oh, this is sad. Were there not 10 cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Wow. A Samaritan. Now, we could spend time, but I want to get into other verses and, and talk about some other things, but I do want to spend just a couple minutes. Remember, this was a Samaritan. The Samaritan were despised, right? They were absolutely despised by the Jews. Because after the diaspora, right, they had the, the northern kingdom, the, the ten tribes go into exile at the hands of the Assyrians. Then, and that was in the 700s, around 720, 722. And then in the, in the fifth century, the 400, you had three different diasporas or one diaspora that was in three sections. And that was the kingdom of Judah. But you had... Jews that had mixed with Gentiles that be, were Samaritans. They were considered interbred between those who didn't know the Lord. And remember, the northern kingdom, without getting too deep, had already switched the worship up, and they didn't want to worship in Jerusalem anymore, right? And they, they said, hey, let's just, you know, with Dan and all that stuff that went down. And Jerusalem already said, hey, these guys are messed up. But then Judah, the southern kingdom, also went into apostasy, and God sent them into Babylon, right? So when the Jews had come back, Judah, some of Benjamin for sure, because Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. There are others, others that were back too because uh, we read of Simeon and Anna when Jesus was born. We read one of them being from the tribe of Asher, which is one of the other of the 10 tribes. When this is all going on, Jerusalem looked down on the Samaritans because they had some really weird things. Judaism mixed with some pagan type things. And they were considered dogs. They were considered full-blown, even worse than pagans by some Jews, Jewish standards. 
And the Jews claimed to Jesus, you know, Jesus said the true worshipers to the Samaritan woman, remember that, will worship in spirit and truth. Remember that? And he invited her to take from the living water, which he gave her, amen? amen. And this is God's way throughout giving us these types of scriptures, these, this type of narration by showing that Jesus isn't just for the Jews. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, salvation is of the Jews, amen? amen. But not just for the Jews. God chose Abraham, that through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, through them, the Jews, that all the nations would be blessed through Messiah, amen? amen. And here it's showing that God's brought in his invitation. And this is kind of a reversal of God broadening his invitation. It's kind of what Jesus did with the good Samaritan because the Samaritans were considered worthless and he, he, he turns the story on the Jews who expected, they, the Jews had a bunch of stories where somebody helps a Samaritan. They didn't have any that we know of where the Jews talked about a Samaritan helping a Jew. And Jesus turns what they expected on its head so they wouldn't be so self-righteous. And so they'd open their hearts and learn what it means to love your neighbors yourself. Even love a Samaritan like a Samaritan could love you. And here he says, it's only this foreigner that's come back out of the tent. And Jesus didn't command them, once you're healed and you're on your way to come back and give me thanks. He never said, you have to do that. But it seems as though it was expected. Amen. I read about a guy named Spencer who... Uh, last name I think was Spencer, who saved 17 people in a boat that capsized at Lake Michigan by Evenston. And, and he jumped in the water and he saved 17 of those people that were drowning. And it caused much harm to his physical body, imperiled his physical life. He lived for some time. But years later he died. And at his funeral it was noted that not one of those 17 people that he saved came back and told him thank you for saving me. Now, it's not like they had to. Uh, we're commanded, by the way, to give thanks to the Lord. I'm just saying right here, the Samaritan was in these 10 lepers. Jesus didn't say, and by the way, give me thanks. Come back and be thankful. It just shows that he expected that. That's how we ought to be, amen? amen. And just as Jesus expects all nine, all, the other nine to come back too, amen? I believe he expects thanksgiving from all of us. And if only 10% of the people give it, and there's no hard, fast number where I'm not saying, look, it's only 10% because of this. That's not what the Bible's saying. But it does seem to indicate it's a small percentage of people that return to give thanks to the Lord when he brings healing to them and that it breaks his heart. It breaks my heart that it breaks his heart that we don't show more thanksgiving, amen? amen. He wants us to be a people of thanksgiving. He wants us to be a people that, are, that show gratitude for what he's done in our lives. Now, verse 19, and he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Praise God. Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. I've got like 17 minutes, and I'm on the first page, so uh, I'm just going to hit some things quick, but uh, maybe I'll preach this message some other time. <laughs> The Lord had something else planned here. I didn't think about talking about Semmelweis. None of that was even in my mind. But uh, I do want you to. I love this. This is a, a true story. Tracy Altler 
her life changed. I'm not giving you the details because it's a long story, but it was pretty cool when I read about this story. I was like, wow, this is a woman who was on welfare, didn't have much money, and lonely. She's at home, gonna have Thanksgiving by herself, and she's gonna eat out of cans. That was her plan. She opened up the cans and eat. That was gonna be her Thanksgiving. And then all of a sudden, somebody knocked on the door, and there was left for her this huge Thanksgiving meal. And she wept when she received it. And she wept, and she wept all day long. And she continued to weep because she couldn't believe the gratitude, because apparently she didn't know who it would even be. And years later, a lady comes in by the name of Margot, because she's a nurse, and she's on her last leg physically, and she has horrible you know, MS, multiple sclerosis, which is a very, very severe disease. And she looked at her when she was being taken care of Margot, and Margot said to her, and it wasn't anywhere close to Thanksgiving, and she said, Happy Thanksgiving. And it dawned on her, that makes me want to cry. It dawned on her that this was a lady because she recognized her that she lived in the same apartment complex and she realized what had happened there. And the cool thing about this story, that's all really cool, but the really cool thing about the story too is her life changed and she decided to be a giver. And she started looking for all kinds of opportunities to give to other people because she saw what it had done in her life, amen? And how much more should we, as Christians, who have received the greatest gift of all, amen, want to share that gift with other people? That should be your goal in life. By way of application, we have to keep these things in mind because I think leprosy is an incredible picture of what we all have. We have spiritual leprosy. Think about it. The lepers in Jesus' day, you know what lepers were called? Lepers were called the walking dead. That's a trip, huh? Dead men walking. What are, what are we before Christ came to us? Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Amen? Amen? Amen. Even worse, we are children of wrath deserving the wrath of God, amen? But we were the walking dead. It speaks of those who fall away from the Lord, those widows who are young and, and uh, they become idle and they go from house to house and they become busybodies and gossips. It says they go aside in 1 Timothy chapter 5 after Satan. And Paul says they are dead while they're alive, living dead. The prodigal son, before he turned back to his father, Fell away, remember? And when he's on his way back, his father says, my son was dead, but now he's what? Alive. alive. Amen? And by the way, when he was dead spiritually, he decided to turn back to his father. He didn't need to be regenerated first. A little side note, okay? So it's interesting when we look at Scripture that we were the walking dead. We were also blind. Lepers go blind many times. We were spiritually blind. That's how we're described. And those who follow the Pharisees and religious leaders that don't know Jesus and reject him, they're the blind that follow the blind. And the Bible says that we at one time were, were blind. We were in darkness. In, first, in, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, the God of this world blinds the minds of those that believe not. 
lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Amen. And they should be saved. But it's right after that where it says the Lord caused the light to shine out of darkness. And Jesus has shown in our hearts. Amen. And he said, let there be light. So we were lepers and we were dead, but now we've been made alive in Christ. Amen. By the, by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, by God's incredible grace. Amen. We deserved wrath, but we got mercy. Even as this leper got mercy, we didn't get God's wrath. And on top of the mercy, we got grace. And our names are written in heaven. And like Jesus said to the 70, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. Amen. We ought to be rejoicing. Oh, and we were also separated from the commonwealth of Israel, even as a leopard would be separated from its people. The Bible says that your sins have separated you from your God, amen? Like a leper, we were ostracized from the kingdom, but not just temporal kingdom, we were ostracized eternally while we were in our dead state without Christ and without hope in this world, amen? amen. But now we've been brought the two, Israel and the Gentile believers, believing Israel and Gentile believers have become, come together as one, amen? And we're in Christ. And now we can worship the Lord in his presence. Our names are not only written in heaven, but we, we are in heavenly places. We are part of the body of Christ, amen? This great mystery, this mega mysterion where uh, we're brought together in Christ and now we're part of the body of Christ forever and we are the divine Messiah, Jesus, the God, man. We are his bridegroom the two become one forever. It's way beyond what this leper experienced, amen? amen? This leper was then all of a sudden like, wow, I'm the bride of Christ now. I'm gonna be with this master forever. He's preparing a place for me. He didn't know all that yet. I can't wait to see it because that's probably his inheritance, right? Because he was a man of faith. There's no indication he fell away. So I can't wait to see him because it just got better for him. But he was already praising God for far less than what we've experienced because we've experienced a greater salvation than that leper. They lose their feeling, lepers, amen? That's what happened to us before we became Christians. The Bible talks about non-believers in Ephesians chapter four and how they become callous, more and more callous as it says in the NIV, insensitive to what's right and wrong, desensitized. We didn't have these feelings that now when we come to Christ and he lives in our hearts, we have bowels of compassion. It's kind of a trippy metaphor, but it's really picturesque the way the Hebrews understood the emotional life out of the, out of the, out of the uh, bodily components of the, uh, in the belly and so forth. And, and it's kind of a trip because a lot of times people, when they, they're in love or something, they'll feel their stomach. They'll always feel their heart. They're like, and that's how the Jews understood, you know, uh, the emotional center. Not that there's not something going on with the heart too. I believe there is. But now we have compassion you ought to have compassion because we're becoming more and more like Jesus, seeing things through his eyes. The closer you get to the Lord, the more you hurt for the lost, the more you want to see them saved. I know it's real easy when you watch conservative news because there's such lies in the liberal world, but guess what? A lot of these conservative pundits and these talking heads, they say a lot of things we'd agree with in principle, but a lot of them don't know Jesus. So be really careful you don't capture, you don't catch their spirit of anger without the love of Christ, amen? amen? Make sure your heart stays in love with Jesus. Make sure you pity the lost and recognize that they're going to Christless eternity forever, amen? amen. And that, and yes, I, I get really, really upset when I see that what just happened, it was reported, if the report's correct, that Kim Kardashian's, her clothing line, 
that she supposedly models for has just put out a lot of like, a lot of children type looking things with, you know, in bondage and stuff, pedophilic type stuff. And people are saying, hey, she condemned Kanye because of his anti-Semitic remarks, which was fitting. She should be condemning her, the clothing line that she's associated with, if that's the case, if the reports are true. I say if because I need to check that out more, but I just heard from a pretty reputable source that her the clothing line that she sponsors and Kanye sponsored too, I don't know if he still does, has little dolls in bondage, sexual bondage. This is the world we live in. My mom and I, my mom's visiting from uh, Idaho and Peggy, it's good to see you guys, both of you guys, and uh, here today from Idaho, Sister Peggy. And, uh, but and my mom said, it's just like the Bible says, you know, in the last days, my mom says uh, that they'll call good evil and evil good, you know. I said, amen, mom. Now, someone might say, well, it doesn't say in the last days, it just says they were calling good evil and evil good and evil good and or putting darkness for light and light for darkness. But I think she's theologically correct because in 2 Peter, it says, even as there were false prophets among the people in those days, there'll be false teachers among you, right? Like those false prophets who bring in destructive heresies and so forth. And those false prophets were calling evil good and good evil. And it says it would happen again. And Peter talks about the last days. So mom, you're actually correct. Very good. Okay. <laughs> I saw somebody rebuking her saying, it doesn't say exactly say the last days. And I told Peggy, you know, don't rebuke her for that. And <laughs> no, they didn't have that discussion. I'm messing with both of them right now. But we did have the discussion. My mom was saying, it doesn't say in the last days it would be like this. Yeah. So it would be like the days of Lot. Amen. Like the days of Noah. And those are the types of things that were going on. But guess what? It's really easy. We've got to be careful to guard our hearts because it's very easy to get cynical. And it's, it's just repugnant what's going on. And what happens is, and I, 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 I try to tell you to watch out for this. It says, lawlessness will increase, Jesus said, and the love of many will grow cold. Well, guess what? As lawlessness increases, people get more upset, more afraid, more ticked off. We have to watch out as believers that we recognize we're like, we need to be like Noah, who with fear built the ark for his kids. We don't have to build the ark. Jesus is the ark. One way into the ark, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Amen. The ark's there for us. His name is Jesus. The building's already been done. He, God wrought it all by himself. We just need to fear the Lord and bring our children, our loved ones in. Amen. But Noah, it says, was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years in the long suffering of God, it says. And God said his spirit would not always strive with man. Amen. We need to make sure that we still walk in love and don't let your heart get hard. How can you make sure your, love does, your heart doesn't get hard? You remain thankful. You remain appreciative of who God is and what he did for you. You focus on the cross and the grace of God and realize, man, it's by God's grace that I'm saved. I should be damned just like everybody else. It's by the grace of God, Paul said, that I go, go I, amen? So you realize it's very easy, to be, very easy to, for you to be lost, but the truth wasn't revealed to you. Or God, by his prevenient grace, didn't draw you, amen? And it revealed your, your utter sinfulness and how you were doomed without him and the glorious beauty of the gospel, how much God loved you and what he did for you. You could be easily doomed. You, you're not saved by your own doing. None of us are. We're saved by his doing, amen? So we need to recognize we don't get hard hearts to the last. We once were those people, amen? But we can say, thank you, Jesus. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was in the leper colony separated from you, but now I've been brought among the believers. I'm in your assembly forever, amen? I once was hardened and callous and I didn't have any feeling, but now my heart pulsates with a love from you and we can become more and more like that as we get closer and closer to Jesus, amen? 
And now my eyes see I'm no longer spiritually blind. Amen? Oh, and the stench that went up because it was a horrible stench, guess what? Now who are we before the Lord? We're fragrant aroma because we offer sacrifices of praise, amen? And those sacrifices of praise, Paul talks about those sacrifices of praise that we beat a fragrant aroma before the Lord. He says it's like a procession and the word he uses of a military procession. They used to have, Romans had military processions and what they would do is they would, they would uh, light incense and so forth and create fumes that smelled so good and they'd be the military victory and people would, it was ca- called the etch in the memory of those who were celebrating the victory that there would be some memory that they just have this nostalgia, this, 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 you know, this sense of gratitude toward the military for what they'd done. But you know what? Paul is going through his own procession and he uses that language as he presents the gospel and he says that that aroma that he's talking about is an aroma to the Lord and it's the knowledge of Christ as we spread the knowledge of Christ. As we lepers who once were outside of God's kingdom and are in it, who once were hearted, who once were blind, who once were losing our digits, so to speak, losing our heart, whatever. Now that we've been right with God, amen, now we present the knowledge of Christ as the aroma which brings eternal life to people, amen. And that's a sweet fragrance to the Lord. And we offer up continually the praises of our mouth. Amen? Because guess what? You know how the Bible describes sin? As a stench to God. In Babylon, their sins have reached to heaven. In the Old Testament, it's a stench before God. But guess what your praise and worship is? Those who've been redeemed, us former lepers, man. It's a sweet fragrance to the Lord. Amen? So continue to be people of praise and thanksgiving. Amen? Man, this went quick. Lord is good. Amen? We are the lepers that have been healed. Amen? We ought to give him praise and worship. So tomorrow when you wake up, even if there's people that weren't at this study and won't understand you, just say, Praise the Lord, you know? But what if they look at me funny? Hey, who cares? I want God to smell a sweet fragrance, amen, from this former leper who used to stench up his nostrils, spiritually speaking. I want to bless his heart. Well, I get kind of, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul. Tell your soul, bless the Lord. David says it over again, bless the Lord, O my soul. You don't always feel like praising him. Praise him because he's worthy of praise, amen? Give him the glory that he deserves and the honor, Amen? Now, can you guys kind of, on Sunday morning when I say let's, let's shout with a voice of praise, or I just say let's give a clap offering, will you all just lift your voices too? Do you think it blesses God's heart when you give him praise? Just say thank you, Lord, or praise you, Lord, or hallelujah, or Lord, you're so good, or whatever it comes in. You're your own person in Christ. Whatever you feel you need to say. Now, if you say well, I'll be, of course, I'll worship with you guys, but I'm just going to clap my hands. I'm not going to open my mouth and give him praise. That's okay. That's between you and God. No pressure, okay? I'm just encouraging you. Guess what? God's going to be blessed either way. But you're going to be radically blessed if you learn to praise him, amen? And I think God gets more blessed in his heart. Do you think Jesus would have been less blessed or more blessed if Nine out of ten, or if all ten came back and said, Jesus, we all bow, we love you, thank you. I think that would have been more of a blessing to him. Because he wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have hurt his heart where he said, was it there ten that were healed? And only these foreigners come to give me thanks? He expects us to be more thankful than we are, I believe. Amen? 
So I can encourage you to be a thankful person. By the way, some of the scriptures I wanted to go through, which I don't have time to go through because we're done, is this. There's so many th- scriptures where thanksgiving is connected to joy. I was going to share some of those verses. But I'll just say that's a biblical principle. Amen. And joy is connected to giving. Amen. So let's give thanks. Let's be people of thanksgiving. Let's give of our time. Let's give of our talent. Let's give of our treasure to be a blessing to others and bring other lepers into God's kingdom. Amen. So let's support the work of God. Let's support the work of the kingdom. And let's be sacrificial in our giving. Amen. Amen. By the way, you know, I hardly ever talk about giving in this fellowship as far as monetarily. But there's like, they say, I don't know if it's true, but they, you always hear there's 2,000 verses that instruct on giving. Well, if there's just two, it's important, but there's a ton of them, amen? Let's make sure we continue to give to the work of the Lord. Let's make sure we, tend, we continue to give to people and be a blessing to them and help those who are poor, help those who are hurting, help those who are outcasts, help those who are lepers, amen? amen. Praise God. I see it's 8.30. Can we all please stand? What an awesome God we have, Amen. If I could just have somebody just say, uh, f- four, three, two, five, maybe 10 people. 10 out of 10, not just one. There's one or what you're thankful for. What do you want to give thanks for before we leave this evening? My life. Your life. Praise the Lord for your life, sister. All things, Mark. The children we have here. The children we have here. Praise God for the children we have here. Amen. Praise God. What's that? Our salvation, amen, praise the Lord. We're four, we got six more to go, even though there's a lot more than 10 lepers here, ex-lepers. What's that? Yeah, praise the Lord for Jesus, amen. Praise the Lord for your health, praise the Lord for all of our health, amen, praise God. Awesome grandma, amen. Good job, Jojo. He's been trying to borrow 100 bucks from her earlier today, so... Not true. Amen. We have an awesome, well, your grandma, my mom. Good. Amen, Jojo. Anybody, what else? Praise God for grace. Amen. Amen. Fellowship. For fellowship, koinonia. Amen. What are you thankful for? Some of you are thinking some things. Just shout it out. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Amen. The word of God. The word of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your word. Lamp to our feet, light to our path. A couple more. What's that? His unconditional love. While we are yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Amen. Amen. Praise God. One more? For your family. Praise the Lord for your family. You got a beautiful family over there. Praise the Lord. And you know what? You're all smiling, and when you're in Jesus, you're even more beautiful. Stay in Jesus. Amen. One more? Christ's resurrection. Amen. Jesus says, because I live, you will live also. Amen. Praise God. We have such an awesome God. Now, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to have a clap, praise, shout of the Lord offering. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you, Father, for your great goodness and taking all of us lepers and healing us and bringing us out of the leper colony into your kingdom and taking our stony, hard hearts, making them soft, giving us new life, giving us your spirit, giving us your word, giving us your son, the glorious gospel of Jesus who died for us and on the third day rose again and conquered the grave. Father, I pray if there's anybody here who does not know Jesus, that they'd realize that they are in a spiritual leper colony and that your word says they'll be in outer darkness forever and ever, separated from you because of sin. But if they repent and cry out for forgiveness 
and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your word promises whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that if we believe in our heart that, Father, you raise him from the dead and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, will be saved. Do that right now if you haven't done that. We thank you, Father, that though we were so lost and so dead and so far away from you, that you drew us by your spirit, revealed your great love to us. We praise your holy name that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we have the gift of eternal life even now. And even if we were to die before we woke tomorrow, we'd wake up in your presence the very moment we left our bodies. We praise you for our salvation. We praise you for Jesus. And as Paul said, thank you, Father, for your indescribable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. In your son's name we pray, amen.